World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the AmeriChicks with your host, Kim Munson. Welcome to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. And sign up for my emails at AmeriChicks.com forward slash Kim. And we will keep you apprised of all the upcoming uh, events and shows. And uh, there's just all kinds of great information there. So that's AmeriChicks.com. Thrilled to have on the line with me today... Uh, Russell Pickett, he is a World War II veteran, and uh, he was at Omaha Beach on D-Day. And as many of you know, this show precipitated from a trip that I took in 2016 with a group that took four D-Day veterans to Normandy for the D-Day celebrations, returned back to the United States, and realized we need to be capturing these stories. And so I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Russell Pickett. Russell, welcome. Thank you. Let's jump in here. Let's let's learn a little bit about you, Russell. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up here in, in uh, Hamilton County in Tennessee. Okay. And where were you when you heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? Mm, I, I don't know exactly where I was, but I would have been around home because at that time, see, I thought I was... Anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't 18. <laughs> okay, okay. How old are you now, Russell? 94. 94. 94 years old. And thrilled to have on the line also with you, um, Mrs. Pickett. Marilyn, welcome as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay. It is so important that we hear these stories. Each of your stories are unique and uh Russell, I just I'm I'm really excited to hear this. So you weren't 18 when Pearl Harbor had been bombed. When did you join the military? What year? It was June 23rd, 1943. Okay, and uh, which branch of the military did you join? Which branch of the oh, army? Okay, and uh, I think I've got all the information. Uh, for you, you were in Company A, the 116th Infantry Division, the 29th Division. Do I have that correct? That's correct. Okay. So you join in June tw- or June 23, 1943. Tell us a bit about basic training. Where I took basic, yeah. I took basic training in Fort McClellan, Alabama. And how 13th. was... 13 weeks of basic training before I went overseas. And what was basic training like for you? Well, of course, everything was different, you know. We, 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 we trained about as hard as we was the whole time. In other words, we had to be on hand at any time, day or night. Okay. It was, it was pretty rough. And uh, when did you, after you finished basic training, where did you go after that? Uh, I went to Fort Meade, Maryland. And what did you do there? Well, we just, well, that's kind of a staging area for going overseas, so there we didn't didn't do much of anything because it wasn't there, but just a matter of a week or so. Okay. For equipment and everything, typical overseas. And tell us about the trip when you went uh, went to Europe. 
when you went overseas? What was that trip like? Well, <laughs> scary. Mm-hmm. We uh, it took us six days to get over there because we was going through uh, submarine German submarines all around us. We had and, and had to come back. Even sometimes we were headed back towards the United States, trying to dodge them. And they made that known to us, so naturally it scared us all. <laughs> you were just—I mean, you guys were just young kids. Uh, but you uh, got to Europe. Did you uh, did you land in England first, or where where at? Where did no. yeah? Where did you land, Russell? Oh, in Glasgow, Scotland. Okay. And how long were you there? Uh, couple of hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and then where did you go from there? Well, they loaded us on a train there and take us. Uh, we were on the train overnight and went, went down to uh, uh, Plymouth, England. Okay. And that would still be in, ni- I'm guessing, 1943? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, now at this point in time, what do you know? What's going through your mind? You're, I mean, here you are. You grew up in Tennessee. You're across the big blue ocean. Uh, Hitler is on, on the rampage you know, on the main uh, mainland there in Europe. What is going through your mind at that time, Russell? Well, at, at 18 years old, you know, you don't have much sense. I was happy to be over there and know where we was going. That was my idea to start with because I tried to enlist in the Army and Mom wouldn't let me. So <laughs> I was drafted on the uh, at, at 18 years old. How many kids in your family? Oh, there was, they was six, three boys and three girls. I was number three. Were your brothers also in the service? One of them was. The others was crippled. He couldn't, he didn't qualify. Okay. My oldest brother was, stayed in, he stayed in 30 years. And which branch of the service was he in? He was in the Army also, but he was in the South Pacific and I was in Europe. You know, Russell, I'm a mom. I, I can't quite imagine moms uh, to have two sons off to war in, in the different uh, theaters like that. And you didn't get that many letters, did you? I mean, communication was not like it is today. No, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. I bet it, it was. I bet it was hard for her to say goodbye to you. No, I was happy to leave. Uh, Mom, of course, was, was crying, but I was I was happy to get get to go because okay. I'd never been anywhere much from home. Just a matter of a few miles of home. Okay, so it's a quite a way to see the world, Russell. Quite a <laughs> quite a way to see the world. This is Kim Munson. We are talking with World War II veteran Russell Pickett. Uh, so, Russell, uh, you, I assume you're doing training while you're there in Plymouth, England, correct? You're training, preparing uh, for uh, combat? Yeah, we, uh, well, we took two or three different kinds of training. Uh, I was going to be an amphibious company, you know, 
And so we trained in amphibious training, and then we also had some of in ranger training and some in commando training and stuff like that. But for the six months I was there before we landed. Tell us about the amphibious training. What were you doing for the amphibious training? Oh, well, we loaded on small boats and made the uh, landings uh, in practice, you know. And, uh, of course, I was in the small boat section. My primary weapon was a flamethrower. That's what I was carrying so was there special training to be a flamethrower? Yes. <laughs> okay. And what, you know, what was that training like for that? I don't hardly know. Well, nobody wanted to really be there. Yeah, so that's... the first thing you had in... Yeah, that's... Uh, that, yeah. To be the flamethrower, nobody wanted to take it, you see. So so they, they put it on me and... <laughs> Because we, as soon as we seen the weapon, we knew it was absolutely a, a suicide job to use it in combat. Well, fortunately for you, you you survived because here you are, ninety four years later. But that's what I've heard as well that that was really, really a tough job. So you're practicing amphibious uh, landing. You are a flamethrower, and what? What about ranger training? What is what was that exactly? The ranger training. Well, it was just a little bit rougher than than uh, and and they had other things to go through, like certain things you had to do that yeah, that uh, it was just a little different from the army. But see, we was going to be working when we got in into France. We would be working with uh, the rangers also, which was going to be landing right at. at Actually, I was the next boat to them. They, were, they had boats and on, on up the beach, or, and so we'd be working with them, so we had to kind of get acquainted with what they'd done, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're training for for six, uh, six months there. Are you starting to feel a buzz that there is going to be uh, an, an invasion of Europe? I mean, when, what were you learning there? Well, we we just had. Uh, uh, you didn't know what time the invasion. Was. No, no, we didn't know at that time what time it's going to be. Until two weeks before okay. that we landed, they did let us know then that we was going. Cause we had to go in special training to on sand tables and everything, so we know what the beach looked like. Okay, and did you ever see uh, General Eisenhower? Um, you know, make a presentation or anything? Did yeah, you? yeah, we seen him. What did you think? I didn't talk to him or anything, but because uh, naturally he was talking with officers. Okay, so we are actually, we're getting closer. You were uh, in the D-Day invasion, and uh, you, we realized that it's a couple of weeks out. How is the, how's the weather a couple of weeks out? I, my understanding is the weather was pretty crummy, as they were trying to figure out when to do the invasion? It was a, the day before we landed. They had a bad storm right where we was going to land. They put us off for one day on that account. See, we, we were supposed to land it on the 5th, 
and we stayed aboard ship. They, we, we started out to go, and they stopped us before we got out of the port. And we stayed overnight there waiting on the, the decision to go on in. And how did they treat you before the invasion? Uh, I, I understand that you all got a, a nice dinner that night. Yeah, they, they gave us a, a good dinner both, both nights that we was aboard. And, uh, and, of course, the guys was naturally went sitting there all night and up with nothing to do and was real crowded. And, and the little old bunks was about 18 inches and right right next to each other almost. So we was pretty well crowded, and we had to kind of stay with our company and not get separated from it, you see. What was going through your mind, Russell? Were you af- afraid, or what were you? Th- do you remember what you were thinking about at th- at those nights? Well, I, I wasn't what you say afraid un- un- until after we landed. Of course, it got scared in, but uh, we we seemed like we were just all exhilarated over it. Really, see, uh, about three days before we left the staging area to board the ship. Our captain formed us together and and told us that any of us that did not want to go, if we'd come forward, that we wouldn't have to go and there'd be no ramifications from it. But there was not one man in the in the company that went forth. Nobody went forth. Not one man. So we all was kind of eager to go for some reason. Well, not knowing what we were going into, see. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that was probably better not to know um, because it was it was quite a day. Um, what we're going to do, Russell Pickett, is we're going to go to break here in just a minute. Before we do that, I wanted to give a shout out to one of my sponsors, and that is Hooters Restaurants. And it is a great time to be a sports fan here in Colorado. And Hooters is my place to watch all of the games. Wednesdays are wing days. All the wings you can eat for fourteen ninety nine, and their smoked wings are delicious. They are only half the calories, and when my girlfriends come over on Wednesday nights, I have Hooters Wings delivered right to my front door. So you can uh, pick them up, you can have them delivered to your door, or you can enjoy the games over at Hooters Restaurants. For more information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. Let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. Uh, This is Kim Munson. We will be right back with Russell Pickett, World War II veteran. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. I am thrilled to have on the line with me Russell Pickett. He is a World War II veteran. He was with Company A, 116th Infantry, 29th Division, and he was uh, first wave at Omaha Beach. In the last segment, we were talking about the preparation for the invasion, and uh, the guys are on the boats now. Uh, they they could not go in on June 5th, which was the original date, because of bad weather. Uh, but uh, Eisenhower decided on June 6th to go ahead and go. The weather was not great on June 6th either, was it, Russell? No, the, the waves were awful bad for the little boats carrying the men in for the landing craft. It was They had huge waves as a leftover from that storm the day before. And they were anywhere from 10 to 12 feet waves with those small boats. Naturally, all of us Army guys were sick. Yeah, that's what I heard. And and was there any shelter on those boats, or were you out there in the the rain and the wind? Was there any shelter for you? Oh, oh, no. Uh -uh. 
So you spent two nights on those boats in storms with no shelter, no roof, as you prepared to do the D-Day invasion. Am I understanding that correctly? There was no shelter when we got on the small landing craft. Of course, the other ship had like a transport ship. Okay. But but on on the little ones, there was no cover on them at all. So clarify this for me then, Russell. When you left England to to go over to Normandy, were you on the bigger ships and then you had to get onto the smaller smaller boats, or were you on the smaller boats for two days? Well, the way we got on the boats, of course, we're coming off of a large... Uh, my, my particular boat section was let down with a, a hoist, you know. Okay. To into the water, but after we'd done that the one time, all the rest of them had to be that they had to be shipped out. Had to try and climb down a rope ladder and all this stuff, and then you know, no, okay. I was just have fortune enough. I was in the one that did get to go down. Okay, that is what I was trying to figure out. So you guys were on these bigger transport ships, and then for the landing craft. Uh, you guys got into those. You said you were in that first wave, so you didn't have to climb down the side on those those ropes with you know these ten foot waves. But regardless, regardless, it had to be amazing. So you are now in the boat, and you guys are going to make the invasion. My understanding is is that you were in the very first wave that went on to Omaha Beach. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, a lot of the guys didn't survive that. That was pretty tough. Uh, I had interviewed uh, Frank DeVita, who was uh, a ramp operator on those landing craft, and he said that out of the 30 guys that was on his boat, only three of them made it to shore. How did you make it to shore, Russell Pickett? How did you make it? Well, I didn't make it on, on to shore. I, we got within all just a few yards from where we was, would have touched down. But we either hit something, a mine, or they hit us with a shell or something. And <clears throat> and the water was too deep for us to try to... In other words, I, they had to help me get out of the flamethrower because and because uh, I, I was, wasn't able to do it. In other words, I, I was pretty well knocked unconscious. But the other guy, another guy later in the time told me that he had to take, get me out of the flamethrower rig that I was in, you see. Mm-hmm. And so I lost, we lost all of our equipment and everything there. And then sometime during the day, towards dinner time, uh, they they took me on in. Some, whoever took me on, on on the beach, and that's where I woke up, in other words. And then uh, the water washed me out a little ways, and uh, and uh, another one of the boats that come in picked me up and took me back aboard the big ship because I was I couldn't hardly walk at all. I couldn't walk by myself, and so uh, they took me back aboard ship. Of course, not having any medical stuff over there on on the beach, was uh, they they didn't have any hospital or anything like that. So they took me back over there, and First Army headquarters then picked me up when they when they let us out on the on the docks over there. While they come got us up and 
and took us up there and to to headquarters. And I, by that time, I was getting to where I could walk pretty good. I was just hopping a little bit. But so myself and another boy that was uh, that was on the boat also that had been picked up. We uh, we opted to instead of going on to the hospital or anything, uh, we opted to go back to our outfit. And because they was telling us all the time how bad they needed everybody over there they could get, you see. And so we just told them, well, we'll go back. So about six days later, before we managed to get back over there, and I, I joined them then just off at the beach. But what was on the beach was uh, chaos. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... My job with the flamethrower was to take out one of the pillboxes over on the on the west side of the beach that we had landed on. And, of course, I naturally didn't get to it if I had, because it was a lot of people who would have been saved because he covered the beach with a fifty caliber machine gun. Mm-hmm. And that was what my, I was supposed to have that burned out within 30 minutes and during training is what they trained me to do. But then... Since I didn't get to go, uh, I, I don't know what happened with that. You said that there was, was chaos. Can you describe the beach to us after, you know, six days in? They call it D plus six, uh, D day plus six. Um, what did you see there, Russell? What did I see? Yeah, on Norman, <laughs> on uh, Omaha Beach. What did you see? Hard to describe what was going on. A little hard to even talk about. Okay, but uh, you know what? That's that's okay. I don't know if you ever if you ever seen the the uh, movie of uh, Private Saving. Saving Private Ryan. I haven't Did watched. I haven't. That? I haven't watched that whole. I need to do that, but I have. Uh, I'm embarrassed to it say was, I have a hard time watching it. It was pretty close to being. What we done, there's a little thing, a few things that was different, but uh, but it it put the subject across just about the way it looked. Okay. On the first 20 or 25 minutes of the movie. Okay. And so, actually, I've been told two or three times that, uh, that, that, that it saved my life, our boat getting knocked out. <clears throat> It probably, I mean... Because my company, according to history, I learned this later, that my company was 96% casualty or death, you know. In other words, it wasn't but 4% of them got off the beach. The rest was either, like I was, wounded or or killed on the beach. And... Of course, a lot, of, a lot of the guys didn't get out of the water, so they're floating in the water and everything. And it's just horrible. Yeah. When you just all you could do would be see them get killed. It had to be really, really tough. Um, thank you, um, thank you for sharing that. Let's let's move on. So now you uh, you've kind of recovered. It's six days later. You're back with your company uh, in Normandy. First of all, are the French excited to see you? Uh, well, I didn't have to use a passport to get in, that's for sure. <laughs> but, and 
actually, as your front line, I was a front line soldier the whole time I was over. And on the front line, you didn't see the people anyway. When we hit the little old towns and villages, you, they, you didn't see anybody. Okay. And uh, they would they would evacuate, you see, or get in. And then after we got after your front line got through by the the what we call rear echelon. They would be there to be welcomed by more, you know, but us on the front line, uh, we just didn't get to talk to any of them over there. Okay, I get it. Well, now and then, one time we uh, we had to stop for about two days that they had us where we couldn't move forward and I did talk to a French farmer then, but that's the only time we ever talked to anybody over there. So what? when was the next time you saw combat then? You're in Normandy, you're back with your company, you're on the front line. So when was the next time you saw combat? After we got through with the hedgerow country in Normandy up there, we went up to the Brittany Peninsula for the town of Brest, which was another major battle. And that is really where I got knocked out in the last part of September. And it was up at Brest, and that was a, a seaport, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it was a submarine court port, and they had we had a whole bunch of people hemmed up in there. They had them hemmed up according to what they told us. They was hemmed up from air, water, and land. They couldn't couldn't get out. We had them surrounded totally. But they, was, uh, they had a huge area over there that we had to go through and to, to get them before they'd would retire. And then when they told us there was about 2,000 up there that was that way, and I think there was about 11,000 that gave up, according to history. <laughs> when, <laughs> when we finally got, got enough of them that they gave up. And that was... 24/7 in, in combat, then totally all the time. You had? Were you tired? Were you exhausted? Well, when uh, actually we just I went for about 30 days without taking a bath, shaving, or changed socks. I think one time, and so you can imagine what we was going through on the front line. And I got hit then at St. Low, and. And took some shrapnel and was, was medevaced back to England again. And the time that's when I got my first bath and anything from the time I got in there. That was uh, I, I got back to there about by the twelfth of, of June, and by the and that was on the second day of May that they hit me that time. Then I was out. Twenty-one days, and I, re, I rejoined my company again. Back in, I was back in twenty-one days, and then I stayed with them until about the sixteenth of September when I got knocked out, put out action, limited assignment. Other So let's talk well, about the second time that you got hit. What happened? Okay, we had a we was in a hold. When I say a hole, we stopped and let the other lines on each side of us catch up with us and that and the other. And when we did that, well, we always put an outpost out in front of us about uh, four or 500 yards. I went out to take their rations 
course, we, we tried to have to crawl about all the way out there, you know, on account of snipers and other soldiers. I was going out to take the rations, and the sergeant told me he'd relieve me because there was one short. I'd stay all night, and he'd relieve me the next morning. But I hadn't been there but about two hours. We had two foxholes out there. There's two of us in one foxhole in one of the corners of the fence. One foot, one of them looking across the other, you know, in front of the other. And uh, so we was in a smaller type field. It wasn't wasn't very large as most of them. And we was dug in there, and the uh, the Germans sent in a, what we called a combat patrol, and they come over the fence down in front of us. Well, there was you know, 30 of them anyway. And we was, uh, we managed to stand them off. Of course, I got hit. Just that was, I hadn't been out there but about, about not more than two hours. And I got hit and was bleeding pretty bad. But I, had, I couldn't get the blood to stop, so I just went ahead and shooting I had to. And... We had uh, actually had the four M1 rifles and one what they called a Browning automatic rifle. So we, with that much firepower, we managed to put them back over the hedgerow where a few of them was able to walk. And it was, it, the whole battle didn't last for maybe 20 minutes before they finally... Because there's a whole lot of them that was down, you know, not off. Some of them, of course, were dead. Some was wounded. And by the time we got through there, I had bled until I was pretty weak. And we couldn't, we, they tried to help me get a tourniquet on my arm and everything where it was bleeding. And what it was, it was from a shrapnel from one of the hand grenades they throwing at us. And that got me in the arm and, and shoulder and everything. And... Since we couldn't get it stopped, we got it cut back a little bit. Well, somehow or another, we couldn't get it stopped, and I had to crawl all the way, all the way back to the company of bleeding, see, about four or 500 yards. Oh, my gosh. And the time I got back there, well, the medic that was with our company, he, he had been hit and carried out, so we didn't have any medic there. Then I had to walk on back to battalion aid station, and by the time I got to battalion aid station, I was so weak, I was just about to fall. And they seen me with one of the guys there that was out there at the station, I mean, the, the hospital thing. And uh, he, he grabbed me, and, and, and uh, they, they put me on down, you know, in the bed, another were on a cot out there. And uh, the next morning, they were supposed to try to take the shrapnel out of my arm. And uh, so they didn't, they, they didn't, uh, didn't get to take it out because they said it was, would hurt the arm worse to take it out than it would be to leave it in there. So they shipped me right on back to England again. And... And I think the greatest thing then that was the worst was, was the loss of blood because I 
time they got my blood and everything built back up, uh, I went back for the third round. Okay, well, let's stop right there, Russell Pickett, World War II veteran, and go to break. Uh, when we come back, we've, we've talked about you've been wounded twice, and you keep going back. And this is quite a story. You were uh, first wave Omaha Beach. Right. And so okay. we'll, we'll go to break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson World War II Project. Uh, be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. All these shows are archived there. And this show precipitated from a trip that I took in 2016 with a group that took four D-Day veterans to Normandy, France, uh, which is where the D-Day invasion was. And uh, I came back realizing we need to capture these stories. Each story is unique and special, individual. And so thrilled to be talking with Russell Pickett. He uh, was uh, Company A, 116th Infantry, 29th Division, First Wave Omaha, And uh, he has been injured twice, and he goes back to his unit. So, Russell, you said you're going back for a third time. So tell me about that. So you're you're going back to your unit the third time. Well, I I don't know. I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. See, I was still 19 years old. I know. And and, uh, I just thought, well, that's what I was supposed to do. And when they said, when they shipped me back, I just got back with the company and and I didn't, I didn't carry the flamethrower anymore, but uh, I, I went on well. I had, I had about, I could handle anything the infantry had to use to any kind of, uh, of uh, ammunition and weapons and all that stuff. I was trained and everything. So uh, we just, I just went back as, as one of the frontline soldiers. And, and I don't know. I just I just thought it was my job, and, and, and I didn't fuss at anybody about it or anything like that, you know. So you just, I just did done it. what they told me to. Yeah, yeah that's uh, it's it's amazing. So you are now back with your your company, and tell us about that. Are you are you uh, in additional combat? What what's going on? Well, they took me. We was going for St. Lowe when we went back the first time. They was off the beach maybe a mile time I got back the first time, six days after D-Day. But there was, we was heading trying to take St. Lowe, which was our, which was, was a big battle. And at St. Lowe's where I got uh, the shrapnel in it and all. Uh, well, just... We was uh, we was right just at the edge of St. Louis, the town of St. Louis, holding the high ground that we had taken to that they was using to uh, for observation, you know, of where we was trying to get into St. Louis. So uh, the beach itself, I didn't fire a shot of anything, but just just seeing it was enough. But uh, so I, I don't think that I would have been any more able to get across the beach than they were, especially carried a flamethrower and all the heavy weight that they put on us. Because we had all kinds of ammunition tied on to our straps and belts and things, you know, because it was going to have to be all the ammunition we'd have for a long time. So they, we carried as much of it as we could. I'm sure that was very heavy. How about provisions? How about food? How much food did you have? How many days of rations to go in? We had, uh, 
Well, it was it's three days, but what it was is three uh, uh, candy bars. It was uh, a candy bar would carry you all right. It was special made for that, you know. So that was the all we had as far as food was concerned when we went in, and the rest uh, was ammunition. And then, of course, we had uh, the uh, life preserver, which we got rid of. But we also had the uh, little old pouches to bandage packages and stuff, and had one had one needle of. Uh, of uh, morphine. Uh, morphine. Yeah, morphine. Had one uh, small syringe with morphine, and to, so if we got hit, you know, and they couldn't get to us, you could they could take that. In other words, we had all we could carry. Everybody in our dead, everybody that landed had had a total load, and most of the riflemen. I had the, had the rifles in uh, old plastic, wrapped in plastic, because the news of water, we would have to wade the water a lot, a lot with them. And by the time they they was getting in, of course, I was, I was just laying there. I didn't even have a rifle, didn't have nothing. By that time, somebody took all my stuff off of me, and. Just keep me from drowning, I guess. Most of the rifles wouldn't fire the, uh, when when they got off. They had to try to get up to the to the all the edge of the beach there to get off the sand and to try to unwrap them. Of course, they were wet and it wouldn't work to do any good. Wow! So it, actually, it was just uh, more like a bunch of setting ducks. Wow! And, were you afraid, or what was going through your mind? What What'd you feel? I mean, what 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 was going through your mind, Russell? Well, really, you didn't have time to do much thinking. You know, you just self preservation. You just try to stay alive. Okay. <laughs> and that's the biggest thing. Of course, nobody was there that wasn't really afraid. Honestly, it was. It just well, it was bad. Yeah, and so scared. Didn't, well, and then our officers all got killed. You see, we had one uh, second lieutenant that managed. To, he was my boat section uh, officer, and he managed to get in. And uh, he was the only officer left that was walking. Most of the non-coms was gone, too, so it was just all bad trying to get off of the beach. I see Marilyn says, you want me to tell you about when I knocked out the last time? Yeah, let's hear that. Well, I got knocked unconscious with a blast, and uh, the artillery shell come in on us. And when, when I woke up that time, I was in England. <laughs> I was out. Completely. Uh, when I woke up, I was in a hospital bed in England, and they said ten or twelve days later. I don't know what. You know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And they kept me in the hospital then, and of course my nerves were broke by that time. And with the other injuries and that, they 
uh, they put me on limited assignment, and I stayed in the hospital until uh, around Christmas time, and they managed to let me get out of the hospital some then and and uh, go around the, the villages over close to the hospital, and uh, they wanted to send me home and. Like I said, a 19-year-old don't have much sense. I didn't want to come home myself and another boy that that, that was uh, hit pretty bad. And we got together and got the major to let us stay over there and work until the war was over. We didn't want to come home till the war was over. <laughs> and so they let us stay in the hospital and work around it because I had to be in the hospitals. They're close to doctors all the time. And... Uh, so they put let us work in the hospital, where we're not supposed to eat five times a day and stuff like that, you know. So being in the hospital was a place where I could do a little something, even though I wasn't trained to do any thing in the hospital. But, so we stayed there until the war was over, and I came home with that uh, hospital unit. So tell tell me about when the war was over. You're you're in England. You're working in a hospital. When did you hear that the war was over in Europe? Well, VE Day come along, see, and I had uh, I had let the I was helping a corporal, and I took the job for him and, and letting him let him go to town because you know, and when when VE Day come along, well, they let everybody that was out stay out for another day, so I was hung in there doing his job. While he is out having a big time. <laughs> Timing's yeah. everything, isn't it, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> so all I've done is, well, of course, we was thrilled and didn't hardly even know which way we was going, running around doing stuff in there. And as they had the hospital on its way out anyway, you know, it closed it down because the war was about over. Waiting for your orders to leave. Huh? Waiting for your orders to get to come home. Yeah, I didn't. I could have come on home early because I had what they call points. They had made a points if you've been wounded or anything like that. So you got so many points and how long you've been in and what you've done and all that. But I was uh, eligible to come on home as soon as that happened. As soon as the E day come along. But I really didn't know it, you see. I didn't know it till later before I found out about it. So I just, I come on home with that hospital unit, and I didn't get home so oh, last part of July. And what was it like when you saw your mom, your mother? What did, what was that like? <laughs> well, thrilled, of course, and uh, of course I come back a different person to what I left. And I guess about all of them did. Sure. I wasn't much for crying for any reason. Of course, everybody else was. <laughs> she had had one uh, notice that I was missing in action. And then one where I got hit, she got notices. And naturally, she was thrilled to death that I made it back. Well, I'm sure. What about your brother? Did your brother yeah. survive the war also? Well, my brother uh, was in uh, the ordnance company. You know, he wasn't a frontline soldier. Okay. 
but he uh, helped handle the big equipment. He was a mechanic, in other words, to keep the. He'd have to go on the front line a lot of times. He got a tank knocked out or something like that. But he was not a, a line soldier. He, he was an ordnance man. So he managed to make it all right on, all the way through. I did beat him back home about six days. <laughs> well, your mom, oh, your mother, South Pacific, right? Okay, um, we're getting close to. Uh, we've only got a few more minutes, Russell. A couple of questions now. What would you say to young people in America today? What would be a message that you would like to to say to them? I would advise them to stay out of the cut, but the soldier will go anyway. You know, the main thing you have to do is follow your orders and do what you're supposed to do because that's what everybody's depending on you to do when you hit combat. Mm-hmm. And if you let your job down, ain't no telling how many people get let down too. So I would advise them to train well and. Avoid wars if they can. Avoid, uh, avoid wars if they can. Oh, yeah. Everybody should avoid wars if you could do it. But we, some people still volunteer to to go over, you know. It's still going to Afghanistan. A soldier has to go over there. So. But I, I would advise them to stay away from it if they could and still perform the duty that it would that they felt like needed to do because, like I said, they'll come home a different person. Well, if you stop to consider, if they're training a soldier, the first thing they got to train him to do is hate and kill. Now, if they don't, if they're not hate, don't hate the enemy, not wanting to kill him, you're not much of a soldier, see in other words, the soldiers, that's the first thing they trained us to do, this young boys in there, was to hate, they trained us to hate the Germans because they, that's where they have had us in there to go to. And so that that's a bad thing to get over with if you, you know, when you come back out. So I would advise them if they didn't have to go to war, don't go. Another question, Russell, though, I mean, Hitler was a bad guy. And so sometimes, I mean, do you think that war is necessary sometimes? Yeah, is is war necessary sometimes when there's bad actors? Yeah, yeah, it's war's, nece- war's necessary, I suppose. But uh, as bad as I hate to think, there's no way around it. Most most guys that go in and train, they go to do the job, you know, mm-hmm. and they, that's what they started in for to do it, and that's what they, and as they're training and everything to do it, well, that keeps them all soothed about getting into the war. Like I said, that our company offered to let anybody out the last two days before we landed. Nobody left because everybody was kind of anxious to get in there and get it over with. Okay. Or at least I was. Okay. Well, Russell, we are just about out of time. Last question. When you see the American flag, what goes through your mind? I go, it goes through our mind what it has costed us to kill habit and all this. You think of that. Think of the guys that's still over protecting it. 
how many of them's being hurt and killed and all of that. It wouldn't do for me to be standing too close to somebody that wouldn't recognize it. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I understand. Russell Pickett, thank you. This has been a real honor to get to talk with you. I just really, really appreciate it, and thank you so much. Okay, thank you for talking with me. Absolutely. So God bless you, and God bless America. This is Kim Munson signing off, and join me same time, same place next week. Okay, thank you, and God bless you. Thank you. Join us next time for the World War II Project, and your host, the Americhick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.